Uh, what did we name our Pokemon character? It was like Boris, but with an eye with a special dot on it. Oh, uh, Boris the Pokemon trainer with this guy as his... Um, oh no, it was my dude as his rival. <laughs> my dude was his rival, so it was like, my dude is approaching. <laughs> my dude wants to battle. My dude sent out a Charmander. Neat. Hello and welcome to Isn't It Neat, a podcast where we discuss nerd out and learn about cool, creative, interesting and nerdy stuff. Each week, one of our hosts will pick a topic they want to share their love for, and that's what we will discuss. My name's Erin, and I'm joined by my sisters, Helen Hello. and Caitlin. Hi. So, Caitlin, you're about to go on a holiday. Yes. Where are you going? I'm going to New Zealand to see my friends who I haven't seen since New Year's Day 2020. <laughs> Mm. two whole years it's two and a half years two and a half years now yeah so helen are you going on a holiday no but i've been to new zealand yeah yeah that's one more than me i have not been to new zealand the last holiday i went on um on a plane was to japan in 2018 that was a while ago that was the last time i needed my passport and now i need to renew my passport so today we're going to be discussing all sorts of things to do with the linguistic background and the accent of New Zealand. Fun, cool New Zealand stuff. Yeah. So, New Zealand. Since I've never been there, what what's New Zealand? Uh, it's a tiny little island off the coast of Australia. It's two islands. <laughs> There's the North Island. Two islands. We island. count them as one. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we respect that. <laughs> So it's not really a tiny little, there's a lot of tiny little islands off the coast of Australia. New Zealand's its own island nation. Yeah. It is to the east of Australia, but it's quite a distance still. It gets attached to us a lot though. No, okay. So Australia, New Zealand, we're in the same kind of region. We're in the same region. Um, they are our cousins, not yeah. our, not part of us, It. Um, but they do get the same sort of treatment that Tasmania gets where they're either yeah. left off the map entirely <laughs> or they're included in, included in mainland Australia, which is, like, incorrect and it's not okay. And mm. they are a completely different country with a completely different culture and history that then was um, colo- <laughs> colonialized. Colonialized. Colonized. Colonized, colonized by the yeah. very white people Europeans. who are like, mm, yeah. Yeah, So our kind of colonial history is very, is very similar. And very that's similar. Kind of, yeah. So the well, the indigenous people. So it's their Polynesian, their background. Mm-hmm. Um. So the Polynesian explorer Cooper or Coop, not sure how to pronounce that. Um. Was kind of the first to discover New Zealand in about um twelve hundred thirteen hundred AD at some point, um, which is fairly late. Um. And that's where kind of the Maori background comes from. But they they have history saying that there were people there before, there were tribes there before, and they lived like on the mountaintop and they didn't see them, but sometimes they heard them. So they've got sort of folk tales about the people who were there before, I suppose the true Indigenous people. And they called the country, so there's two islands, there's a North Island and the South Island. They called the North Island Aotearoa. Aotearoa, is that how you say it? I think it's closer to Aotearoa. Aotearoa? Yeah. yeah. But they say it with that really cool lilt. Yeah. <laughs> like how and kind of accent. And Maori is actually like more Maori. Yeah, it's got a Yeah. And they've got a little tap or a flap or something. Um 
So they they say that that was the North Island and the South Island didn't really have a name, but then when they would call the whole like the two islands together, Aotearoa, Mete, Waipunamu, Waipunamu, Waipunamu. We've got to get Google onto this. <laughs> <laughs> Phonetics. So that so that had the name. So that was what they called it. Um, and then there's all these really cool Polynesian. So that um tradition, the oral tradition, the stories of like how. Um, the islands came to be. So one of the cool ones is Maui from Moana, the mm. movie, because that's how we know Maui. Yeah. Um, he, so the South Island was like his canoe and one of the islands between was like the anchor or something and he anchored there and then he dragged the North Island up from the bottom of the ocean with his hook. But isn't that his whole um, mythology is that he's like this demi god god situation and tricks the god all of the little tiny islands in that area are him just like going fishing and accidentally getting like the bottom of the ocean and being like yeah. pulling it up because he's just like so oh dang another drive. island <laughs> just fishing uh, up islands and people came and lived on them yeah yeah or like they asked him to put up an island and he's like yeah right <laughs> off he goes yeah <laughs> so there's a really rich history in that kind of polynesian um tradition so they're very, very different. So the Indigenous people of Australia were, were very, very different. They had mm. their Dreamtime stories. They're kind of not really related at all to the the Polynesians. So that's like, so yeah, we've come from such different backgrounds and then been colonised by Europeans because then the first Europeans to arrive were the Dutch in 1642, Abel Tasman. Um, I suppose that's where we get like Tasmania and the yeah. Tasman Sea and all that kind of the stuff Tasman named Strait, after him, yeah. Tasman Strait. Yeah. Um, he named it New Zealand, spelt the Dutch way, which meant New Zealand because there's a Zealand in um, Holland. Yeah, I thought there has to be. A or used to be. Somewhere. Yeah. So he named it New Zealand. And then in 1769, which is actually quite a long time, James Cook landed on New Zealand and was like, this is belongs to the English. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to do a map, guys. I've done a map. This is English now. It's basically yeah, how we do it. It's ours, yeah. Yeah. Which is, that's um, where our histories kind of Converge. coincide a little bit between Australia and New Zealand because, um, yeah, he also kind of colonised Australia too. Yeah. And the British came and they did the whole colony thing. And then in 1840, there was a treaty signed with the Maori tribes that that they would be something to do with like under the crown of the English crown and stuff. I didn't really look into it. So there's like political things. But New Zealand's, they were part of the New South Wales colony. So New South Wales is a state in Australia. It's where Sydney is. And they were part of the same kind of colony, but then ended up separating and when Australia, like, was, like, part of yeah, all the different states and all the colonies decided that Australia was going to be Australia, um, New Zealand was like, nah, we're something different. And so they kind of mm. split away again. So I have looked on the map because I'm travelling and I like maps. Um, and so where Perth is, we're on the uh, 115th degree longitude. Sorry, latitude. Mm-hmm. Longitude's the up and down, latitude's the way the equator goes. Auckland, where I'm going, is 60 degrees lower at 174 degrees latitude. So it's a 
much lower than Perth, and that's the city on the top, the at the top of the North Island, not the very mm. tippy top. So New Zealand is much lower and closer to Antarctica, which is why it's so much colder, and they have mountains and snow. And also yeah. why if you go to Antarctica, you go from New Zealand, like yeah. most of the ships and stuff and the resupply, they go from there because they're the closest. Mm. And that's a little bit, I think, why Tasmania gets lumped in with New Zealand because the climate's very similar and they've yeah. got lots of sheep. Yeah, yeah, sheep were everywhere when we went. Yeah, so we have the mm. same um, sheep joke as England and I think is it Scotland where they're like, it's just whoever sheep. the other is, it's sheep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about women's suffrage, Caitlin? I do. It made me really excited. So I like um, the history of the women's suffrage in New Zealand because like they, 1869, is where the first um, published works, published works by a um, amazing woman called Mary Ann Muller. It was called Fem- Feminia. She wrote the appeal to the men of New Zealand advocating for votes for women. And then through the late 1800s, there's women giving public lectures about rights for women and not just landowning women, but just women in general. Women are disenfranchised. They need to be enfranchised. And I love that word. So good. Mm. Um, 1874 is when the first um, person in the House of Representatives ur- urged women to be enfranchised. 1892, the, the trade union was established in Dunedin. And then three years later, they've got the Women's Franchise League. So it's a women's union for women's basically in Dunedin and 19,000 women are signing for this next petitions. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's every year, it's huge, yeah. every it's year, like and it's just getting momentum. bigger and bigger and there's no sort of like massive backlash as far as I could find in like the history. It's just every time they try it and it's there's the, a good chunk of almost the majority are going, yes, this is great, and it's failing not because they don't want enfranchisement. It's failing because the language of like the bills that they're putting together would disenfranchise permanently an aspect of like the people they're trying to enfranchise. So it's not good yeah. enough. And yeah. They keep doing this. At 1893, there's 32,000 women signing the petitions this time. And I'm going to absolutely destroy this name. Mary Ti Tai Mangakaihi, maybe. Um, so Mary goes before Parliament and explains that Maori women should be allowed to be to be to vote and become members of Parliament effectively. And they mm-hmm. sort of put it away, but I, I read the address and just got I so good that I exhausted myself with how excited I was about it. They were like the first, weren't they? That yes. Get- Vote so the, they're the first to grant universal mm, vote to women. Rights, votes to women. Yeah, yeah there are some. So I've, I've got the history But they're just, they are so sensible. It. And at the moment their Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is just, she's been phenomenal, especially through the COVID-19 pandemic. And mm. things like she gets stuff done and everyone supports her, the whole, like the whole country together. They just seem really sensible. And she's done things like she was was the first. She's a female prime minister, and she had a baby, and she in, can just bring it into parliament. parliament. Yeah, and like 
that's fine. She can still do her work. It was a bit controversial, but she proved that it was being a mother doesn't mean that you stop being functional. Like you stop yeah, being the person. Yeah, there's all these all these pictures of like the other MPs like holding the baby and helping with the baby, and it's like it takes a village. Yeah, and this is a village. If they all pitch in together, they can look after the baby and also get their work done. The the reason why I got so excited about New Zealand suffrage is throughout all of this stuff is where like. Every year, more petitions, more women, more signatures are coming up. At no point do they sort of step back and go, oh, women should be soft and demure and meek and nice. They've got this history of the Native women are just as strong and powerful as the men. They have different jobs and some overlap and some don't, and that's fine. Um, But they don't allow the complete railroading of women. So Helen, where have you been in New Zealand? Uh well well we went on a holiday. We did a like a road trip. So we started in the North Island, we landed in Christchurch, we rented a car and we drove all around down the South Island and then around and back up again. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. Um, yeah. His mum planned all the tri- wait, trip out in advance and she booked all the motels and we just had to mm. pick up the car and go when we got there. Yeah, and follow the GPS. Yeah, the GPS who it was back in the day before they were really good and you didn't have them on your phone yet, so you had to get an extra box in your car. And she got a bit confused sometimes because we'd just be driving along on a straight road and then suddenly she'd go recalculating and we'd look at the thing and she'd tell us we're in a river. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, oh, my God, why are you in a river? Let me get you out of here. (laughs) And she'd do it quite often, <laughs> but you know, in the actual city, she would be was pretty good. But you know, <laughs> yeah, it was um, just the yeah. I suppose when it was just relying on the satellite, yeah, <laughs> in the rural areas, it's, it's like it would always like break up the really long, long ride because then suddenly she'd yeah, start talking like, and what? be like, "What? <laughs> what she gonna do? What she gonna do?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. So you saw pretty much most of. All the highlights, all the touristy destinations. And we stopped at um, the, we went Christchurch, we went to Milford Sound, we went and walked on the glacier, the Fox Glacier, went to um, Dunedin where the castle is. It's called, what's it called? The um, I think it's the only castle in that place actually. Yeah, because that would be a very European thing. Yeah, it was the Lanark Castle. And they got, um, yeah. yeah, I think we went. To Auckland, and we stayed with Arnie Linda for a bit. Yeah, yeah. And we went and saw the glowworm caves because they the only touristy thing. That was the last couple of days while we were there. We also went to oh, Queenstown, cool. which is the ski place, but it wasn't snowing when we were there. They were in a oh. drought when we were there, except it was all green and wet, and there was sprinklers <laughs> going off yeah, in the middle of the day, kind of and drought. it was cold. <laughs> like it was like sunny, but it was cold. And I remember walking and getting like lunch somewhere and these kids come in their tank tops and short shorts and I'm in my jacket and my long jeans and the sneakers. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's hot today. And I'm like, it's it's a little bit warm. It's okay. It's <laughs> nice. degrees lower than we're used to. <laughs> oh, and we're driving on the mountains. It was really cool. So currently, well, as of the census in 2018, the um, about 70% of the population of New Zealand identified as European ethnicity and 16% were, or a bit over 16% were Maori, which is a huge improvement over the years. So at one point it was like 90-something percent European ethnicity and there was a lot of um, 
the usual things that happen with European colonization where they try and stamp out the local language and the local culture and all that. Um, But they made a big push, which they're still doing in Australia as well, making a big push for children to learn um, the native language and um, not try and steal the children from the parents and all that kind of thing. Um, So that's that's very positive. I remember there every are, year we had the like they do the hako or something. Is that what it's called? Oh yeah, they do that the um the rugby. Yeah. The rugby. And now I don't know because there's union and league and people get really mad if you say the wrong one. <laughs> but there's the rugby and they do the haka, which is like a war dance. Um what I something that I think is really cool is that there's actually two official languages in New Zealand, and I learned a new word today. So there's everyone knows what de facto means, which is kind yep. of like the assumed. It's the mm-hmm. way things are. But then there's de jure, which is a it's a um, legal term, which means actually official. So the two actually official languages of New Zealand are Maori, the Maori language, or te reo, te reo, te reo I'm going to butcher te all reo, of these words. Te reo Maori. Is that is one official language, and the other official language is New Zealand Sign Language. Ooh, mm. English is only the de facto official language because everyone speaks English. So there are no um, adults in New Zealand who only speak Maori as their first language. Um, they all they all speak English. Um, that might change. That might change going forward but at the moment everyone speaks English so that's kind of their de facto official language but in in terms of law in terms of official proceedings um, Maori and New Zealand sign language have got that weight which is really Mm. cool. I remember learning sign language to a song in primary school we did the song from Babe if I had words to make a day for you. Oh, I remember you performing And we that. signed it and it was this whole performance and, yeah. and I can't remember yeah. any of it, but I remember learning and being very excited about it at the time. So we're going to be, I think, speaking mostly about English because we speak English and a little bit of how New Zealand English and their accent, which is really cool, how it kind of differs from the Australian accent, which is it's a little bit like the relationship between US English and Canadian English that a lot of um, non-North American people can't really tell the difference and a lot of people who are not Australian or New Zealand can't really tell the difference between Australian and New Zealand accents but they're actually quite different when I started looking into it. Like I got off the um, plane and heard a a New Zealand accent the first (laughs) time he said something something gate seven and it was so exciting and now dad will never let it go forever. Seven. Helen just goes, Sidon. So yeah, we're in their country now. That's the right way to say it. You say it wrong. So the varieties of English that had the biggest influence on the development of New Zealand English were Australian English. So we kind of developed alongside each other, and also Southern England English, and lesser influences from American English, Irish English, Scottish English, um, and the British prestige received pronunciation so that's quite need to explain that received pronunciation is kind of bbc yes oh, very speaking very properly um yeah that kind of presenter voice no one's a re- really a native speaker of received pronunciation but it's kind of that prestige you put it on to sound more important and more wealthy and more educated mm-hmm. um 
And that's actually one of the biggest differences between Australian English and New Zealand English is that if you actually listen to them, they are a little bit more closer to that RP. They kind of have, they're a little bit more like we might listen to them and think they're a bit posh. They're a bit more um, clipped. Yeah. Whereas Australian is sort of notoriously quite lazy and laid back and long and we have really long diphthongs, which is multiple vowels as one vowel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, gonna, gonna wanna, yeah. shoulda, Go, yeah, better, yeah. have. And they still shorten things similar to what we do, but it's very sort of clipped and just their um, intonation and the way they speak, the way the sentences flow is quite different. Um but also yeah. an important source of vocabulary um, is also the Maori language. So they've adopted a lot of words. There's a lot of place names there. Same as Australia. We've got quite a few place names that are um, based on the Indigenous languages. So New Zealand English, a broad description of New Zealand English is it's non-rotic, which means they don't pronounce their R's, um, which Australian also doesn't. So a rotic accent is US English. They say all their R's. The herbs. Yeah. Herb. Herbs. They don't say the her, it's herb. Yeah. We say the her, another er. Yeah. Used to be herb. They, they're saying it the original way. We're saying it the not original way. <laughs> How that all changes. Yeah. So New Zealand English is non rotic. The main difference between Australian English and New Zealand English is the um, one phoneme which is what Helen was making fun of with the seven. Seven? <laughs> it's the, the e, e, yeah, e. So it's not e, e. which is seven. seven. E is not how we say, we don't say seven. <laughs> but e seven. is, so when we, when we talk about vowels in the mouth and a lot of right. accent comes from vowels, vowels are all open. So the difference between a consonant and a vowel is that a consonant has friction there's some point of contact of the articulators in the mouth whether it's the um the lips the teeth the tongue um that's kind of stops the sound or there's that closure there and there's different qualities of sounds as well with the consonants but they're kind of rock solid like you close your lips together and you make a mm sound there's not really many different ways to make mm because you just close your lips together mm. if they're open then it's a different sound with vowels vowels are open so there's Ew. there's more where <laughs> <laughs> we talk about what um the position in the mouth of vowels in terms of where the tongue is so the high front vowel it's closed and front is e because the front of the tongue is high at the front of the mouth. At the back of the mouth, an open, so opposite E is or, so that's the most open and the tongue is pulled back in the mouth. In the very middle of the mouth is a sound that's called schwa. Uh, schwa. Uh, it's open in the middle. And usually, this is one of the really interesting things about the New Zealand accent is that um, uh, which is an unstressed syllable in most dialects of English, is stressed in New Zealand. So that's that's actually the sound, the e, the the e sound. It's um, it's the fish and chips. Fish and we chops. hear it as fush and chops, yeah. which is ah, uh, which is different to uh. Very, it's very similar. 
Um, and when we say fish and chips, the New Zealand hear that as fish and cheeps. So like yes. really high. Mm-hmm. So we kind of spread them out a little further. So yeah, that schwa is kind of, it, it's stressed. Which, Dad's always said it, fush and chops. Fush and chops. That's that's yeah. Australian people making fun of the New Zealand accent. That's like, that's the it's the Canadian A. <laughs> yeah. A. It's all in good fun because <laughs> um, they tease yeah. us about how we say things too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it goes both ways. Yeah. And there are, in New Zealand English, there are varieties of accent, just like there are in Australian English. They're, all, they're quite subtle. They're not, the difference is that, level of cultivation is what they call it, which is kind of that RP um, influence on it. So it's how posh they are, <laughs> how broad they are, which is, which I, I find really interesting, all that kind of thing, because that is part of accent as well, the way you talk and the way you present yourself and what you're, what we're told is more educated, better, what's general so that a general accent is normally just whatever group that's currently hold, that currently holds the most power in society. That's the general accent. And if you don't have that, if you're outside of that to be included, you have to speak in that general way. Um, Which is uh, code, code switching. So if yeah, you've, if yeah that's come code up, switching. Yeah, with a certain accent because that's your history and your where you've yeah, and you learn to speak a different way so no yeah. one knows you're from that place. But it also, there's more to it than just that's quite black and white. So we're very much attached accent and how someone sounds with character and character archetypes and the and values associated with that person and where they stand in society. And that's a little bit more difficult to kind of deconstruct and allow different like accessibility and different access for people for actors and actresses and things like that okay so what I wanted to talk about mostly is that the difference between Australian and New Zealand English with their vowels is that they experienced what's called a vowel chain shift have either of you heard of that before Yes, nope. because we are related to you and you've been telling <laughs> us about the great vowel shift since you learned it when you were at uh, university yeah so the biggest the great vowel shift. It's a very dramatic linguist mm. thing. So in um, Middle English, in about the fifteenth across the fifteenth and sixteenth century centuries, there was there was a big shift in the way we pronounced our vowels in English. And what happens is, generally, for whatever reason, a certain vowel sound will start to get. Um, pronounced differently so it might move into a different uh, location in the mouth so it might go up or it might go down um, but it'll move into that spot and then all the words that we used to pronounce with that sound originally maybe they sound the same as these new words but so there's two different words and they're now pronounced the same but they mean different things so now we need to distinguish so that all the words that were pronounced with that sound that got taken over need to move somewhere else so they kind of push or they pull it's either a pull or a push so they either push around the mouth so every vowel kind of moves one place over or or one will move away and then there's like an empty spot and they'll kind of all fall into the empty spot one after the other so that's sort of kind of what a chain shift is and so we're talking there there and there 
all being sound like sound exactly the same but mean completely different things? I don't know. Okay, mm-hmm. sorry, cut that then. I don't know that one. <laughs> but uh, the way I think of it is, if you if anyone's ever learned like a Western European language like French or German, if you see it spelt with a U, the sound is U. But in English, if you have a word spelt with a U, it's generally A because it's moved. Except when it isn't, or it's next to Except it. Except when it isn't. <laughs> which is pretty much a summary which is just, of the English like, language as a whole. Yeah, like this, except how, when it isn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is how it works. So New Zealand English had a little chain shift. So the sound, air, which is a near-open, near-front sound, moved to er so air to er mm. um, which is an open mid near front so it's kind of shifted upwards which moved to air air which i say like i'm just covering my bases and saying like five different vowels here yeah and then that pushed that vowel to er hang on so where did so, it start air <laughs> air and there's now air air it's a very yeah so it's called the trap dress kit chain shift (sighs) okay okay so that so we have these um lexical sets they're called so trap is the first one so it's the trap set so it's the ah in trap there's a set of words so like trap bat cat back back match yep if you have a shift of that vowel, all of those words will shift. So they're kind of all tied together. It's like a set. So all those words will shift. And that's why we have spellings that are a bit weird because we're thinking about sounds moving. So not all words are in the set, but they may be sound, they may sound have the same sound in it or they may have the same spelling and they don't, they're not affected by that lexical set shifting with the vowel. So, yeah, that's kind of why everything's kind of all over the place. So we have mm-hmm. sets, though, and or like always, it's kind of like we kind of have these defined sets, but then there's always exceptions. Except for this one. <laughs> mm. No, so tra- the trap set. So when you have a chain shift, it's the, the, a chain shift. A chain <laughs> shift. When you have a chain shift, it's always the whole set that moves. If it's just like one or two words, it's like that's not really mm. a phenomenon that's happening in the whole accent. It's like the whole set of words will move. Um. Yes. Is that why when you're doing an accent, you have like so? Is that why when you're doing an accent, you find your keyword that has the right sound in it, and you use that to base how you're doing the accent from that point on? That is one way. When I learn an accent, I learn the key sounds. So you've got a little set of sounds that you do. I've got a set of sounds, and then you put them in the words. And that's why when I'm first learning an accent, um, it helps to read 
because then I'm not thinking about what I'm saying. I'm just reading the words and thinking about substituting all the sounds. But then once I become a bit more fluent in the accent and I can just start speaking a little bit more naturally, if I go back to reading, it'll st- it'll throw me off because certain words might rhyme in one accent. They might have the same sounds, mm. but they don't in my native accent. <laughs> so it'll like trip me up or the other way around. But you might have a phrase yeah. that's representative of those sounds or a word that's representative of those sounds that the you go in. in Spain, stays me the plane. <laughs> that was yeah. learning how to do the vowels properly yeah. in that movie. <laughs> how so, doodle. <laughs> Sorry. It's <laughs> really good. And that's that prestige thing. So the trap vowel which is a moved to a trap 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 the dress vowel so the dress set is a little bit closer together so air is dress air um it just shifted a little bit so there's no separate phonological like movement it just drifted a little bit um, and then the kit vowel, that's the one, that's the one. That's e, e, kit, kit, which kit. shifted to a uh, cut, 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 cut. Yeah, so that's the whole fish and chips thing. So we hear fush and chops, but it's actually fish and chips. Yeah. Because we also can't quite um, imitate we can't distinguish. the exact it's like we just tonal shift. Yeah, it's like trying to learn Chinese with the um, all the various tones. tonals, mm. and it's the same sound with a different tone, and you can't hear without it having trained. a gateway. Yeah, without having that gateway where you're you're being trained into how hear the sounds, you're not going to mm. recognize that they're different. So Japanese is slightly easier because it's always a e i o u. And sometimes you extend the sounds, and other times you don't. Like mm. biowin and it's very biowin. formal. <laughs> they would have more. So they're called allophones of a phoneme. So you have sounds. So each language and each dialect has a set of sounds, and then each set of sounds has allophones of that sound. So there might be a variety of um, sounds that you actually use, and it's called their realized. So it's realized as this. And it depends on what sounds come before and after because you'll always, the vowels will move a little bit closer to whatever consonant is coming either before or after because we're not very precise when we talk. No, that's why um, those that do um, safety presentations and like reporters and things like that, they have that sort of put on voice that they use. It's so that they you they move their mouth in the exact way that shows the sound that they're making so that those that are hard of hearing don't know the language clearly enough or are straight up deaf can understand what the presenter is trying to yeah, and lip read as well yeah and you do you over articulate to make yourself a little bit more understood Mm. when you do actually articulate every sound. But if you're just with your mates at the pub and you've been drinking you a little bit, yeah. mm. you drunk all your Jager bombs. <laughs> you gonna... keep, make, keep making references to the Jager, Jager bomb story <laughs> that is not in this recording. 
<laughs> might be, it might be. We were talking about yoga bombs before we started. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So so that that's the, the big thing, the, the fish and chips, fish and chips, not fush and chops. And, and chili bombs. You guys remember, you guys remember the beached whale? Bomb. So that's good fun at the New Zealand accent. And it's probably a video that I'll um, include in the show notes if you haven't seen him. So it's just this little cartoon whale. <laughs> Talking to his cartoon. He goes, ah, oh, brew. What are you doing, brew? <laughs> so, oh. It's, it's, um, it's a, a seagull who's like come across the beach whale and they're having a little chat. <laughs> yeah. It's so and cute. They just, and it, and it's all just making fun because it's beached. Um, beached is. Depending <laughs> they say bro, I think that's kind of more of that Maori influence. Mm. Um, and they say bro, and he says, say he says, "Oh, do you want to chop?" Offers <laughs> 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 the whale a chop. Oh no, any word? <laughs> yeah, I do. I eat plankton. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's it's a real over generalization and it's just like poking fun it's it's really mm-hmm. fun and it's just them just saying funny things like mm-hmm. fush and chops mm-hmm. instead of fish and chops <laughs> you can hear the difference i'm probably not all that great i haven't studied this accent to actually like talk in it because it's close yeah. enough to my accent that it's difficult i find it difficult yeah. i find it easier to do just something completely different because then everything changes but when it's it's really easy to fall back into my accent. Yeah. We're going to have some eventually, hopefully, cross fingers, knock on wood, uh, New Zealand listeners who will get to this episode really? and go, mm. You butchered everything. <laughs> it's <laughs> all wrong. So that was a brief journey into the linguistics and the cultural background of New Zealand. I'm sure Caitlin's now ready to seamlessly blend in with the locals. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so listeners, have you been to New Zealand? Are you from New Zealand? What do you think of our attempts at saying fish and chips? <laughs> Tell us about what you think on Twitter or Instagram at isn't it neat pod or email us on isn't it neat pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Now go and enjoy something you think is neat. Neat. <laughs> <laughs>